Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. The book of Daniel. Amen. We, we barely got our feet wet. Barely got our feet wet last week. But I want to turn to the book of Daniel uh, this evening, and I want to read from chapter 1. Uh, let's start with around verse number, verse number 8. Amen. This evening, verse number 8 of Daniel, chapter number 1. The Bible says, But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Now God had brought Daniel into favor and tender love with the prince of the eunuchs. Amen. Two phrases there, verse number 8, but Daniel, and verse number 9, now God. For a little while uh, tonight, I want to teach Along this line, the second of the series, parental discretion advised. Parental discretion advised. Amen. Can we go to the Lord in prayer right now? Jesus, I come to you tonight. God, I'm thankful, Lord Jesus, for us being able to gather together, Lord, in your house and in this place. I pray, oh God, that you're able to help our hearts and our minds. I pray, oh God, again, Lord Jesus, as we look at the scriptures, Lord, of this precious word of God, this holy writ i pray O oh lord today god bring enlightenment and understanding god and we'll thank you and we'll praise you lord for what you accomplish in this place in the lovely name of jesus christ that i pray amen and amen the church say amen amen you may be seated tonight in the lovely name of jesus christ so again last week we just barely got our, our feet wet and we're really not getting too too deep uh, into the book of Daniel uh, even this week and this week you're going to say well I thought we were supposed to be looking at all the prophecies well we got a few more little hurdles to jump uh, before we get into some of that and it's so good to see the different people that are at the house of the Lord um, I was hearing I was listening to someone preach the other day and he says I tell you what he says I know I'm a good preacher he said I know I'm a good preacher he said I can preach so good he said on Sunday morning he said there's people my church don't come back till the next Sunday he says I'm such a good preacher he said, it just holds them for an entire week. And uh, I'm glad to see you all on Wednesday night Bible study. I just appreciate you all, amen, being here tonight. Uh, last week we did uh, talk just a little bit, and I'm just doing a, a kind of a little snapshot review, okay? I can't get in too deep or we'll never get through this. But just a little bit of review. Last week we kind of did an introduction to the book of Daniel, and we gave it some, some historical context uh, for the book of Daniel and uh, with that being said, some of the things that we come to find out, uh, maybe I won't rehearse exactly what I rehearsed before, but something that we find out from the very beginning of time in the garden, there was not the separate classification of Jew and Gentile. That was not the case from the beginning. In the Garden of Eden, uh, the Lord basically created just mankind. There was no per se distinction or classification. But as it would go, mankind, as it would be in general, uh, became so corrupt or was so corrupt uh, and their heart was continually set on evil the Bible speaks of before the flood that uh, the Lord said we're going to do something about this I'm going to destroy the world by water 
and uh, we're going to start anew with, with the family of Noah, and everything's going to be well, only to find out after the flood, man's still wicked. Mankind is still wicked, and they still have a lot of wicked vices and wicked ways. And so as a result of this, the Lord, of course, making his promise uh, with the family of Noah, uh, spoke to them and gave them that promise of the bow and the cloud that he was not going to destroy the world by water again. And with that being said, instead of destroying them by water, which he said he was not going to do again, uh, he says, I'm not going to destroy mankind, but I'm going to call a people out from a people. I'm going to call a people out from among a people. And whenever he did that, he did that through the man Abram. You remember, he called him out. Again, his father Terah was a pagan. He was heathen, served idol gods. But God says, Abraham, I want you to leave your land, that land that you're a native of, that land that you're familiar with, and I want you to go to a country that I have prepared for you. And so the calling out of Abraham was then starting this segregation, if you will, or separation even better, uh, of, of a Jewish nation and then a heathen Gentile nation. Started right there with the call of Abraham out of these people. And so that was the plan and the intention of God. And then we talked a little bit about last week, just a little bit. I'm just touching the tops of the trees, okay? We spoke of last week how this entity called Babylon uh, arose very early in the history of the entire world, back around Genesis chapter number 10, whenever there was a man by the name of Nimrod, who was the son of Cush, who was the son of Ham, who was one of the sons of Noah, uh, came on the scene, and he built the city of Babel, equalized Babylon in the land of Shinar. Amen. He built the city of Babel, and Nimrod being his name alone, being rebellious or rebellion, we begin to understand the type of characteristic that the city Babel is going to have. And so there in Genesis chapter 10, there's already the formation of this Babel or this Babylon that's taking place that Nimrod had built. And the cry of Babel or the cry of Babylon really was just a couple different fold that came from the cry of Babylon. This is what the scripture says in Genesis 11:4, And they said, go to, let us build us a city and a tower whose top may reach into heaven and let us make us a name lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. Now, if you remember from last week, this let us make us a name. One of the cries of Babel was this. It was a cry of pride. They were proud people. They were proud people. They wanted to be about them making themselves a name. But the second cry of Babel was that they, they said, let's make us a name right here at Babel and let's not go any further, which was absolutely against, remember, the voice of the Lord that has said, be fruitful and multiply and replenish or fill the earth. And as a result of that, they said, we're not going any further. We're not, lest we be scattered abroad. We want to be totally against what the Spirit of the Lord said and a reason and a purpose for that because they could have just a central place right here, and with that, they would have domination. And that is, in essence, the spirit or the cry of Babel or Babylon, the domination among the people. We talked about last week, still just a little review, we're talking about the importance of prophecy. Prophecy being important. Uh, sometimes we just cast it off, but it being important, you remember from last week, uh, we spoke to a certain degree how uh, it's so important because if people can see prophecies being fulfilled, spoken and then being fulfilled, and they see that it's true and right, that maybe uh, they would put a little bit more concern on this idea of salvation and their own personal salvation. 
But likewise, the scripture says, I believe it is in Ephesians, uh, the Bible states to us, Ephesians 2.20, that we are built upon the apostles and prophets. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. So if we're built upon this foundation of apostles and prophets, uh, could I say the prophets and even their prophecies, all right? And if we were to leave the prophecies out, then we're not totally on a complete foundation here. So prophecy is important because this is something that we are built upon. The apostles and the prophets and their prophecies, if you will. So it's important uh, for that reason. Again, this is just a little review. But some of the reasons for captivity are right before you. The reason why they went into that 70 years of captivity, they continued with their idolatry. Continued with their idolatry. And they began to mock God's messengers because God sent them. He sent other prophets with words of warning and judges and kings with words of warning, but they didn't adhere to them. And so they went into the captivity as a result of that. And then lastly, because of the sabbatical years, if you'll recall, every seventh year should have been a sabbatical year, meaning that the land should have got rest, but they did not allow that to happen, uh, at least to the estimation, according to the number of years that they were in captivity for about 490 years because every seventh year that should have happened and seven times 70 is 490. And so they were in 70 years of captivity because the rest of the land didn't get, they're going to get now, right, in captivity. So that's some of the reasons why uh, there was captivity. And there's a lesson that the Lord's doing in all of this, sending them to captivity. We must understand that although Nebuchadnezzar came and the rule and the reign of Jehoiakim, and took away uh, Daniel and some of his friends, and then later other people and other people, the Bible says that the Lord delivered Jehoiakim into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar. This was all orchestrated by God. And God was going to teach a lesson in this. Because the people were loving idolatry, loving to serve false gods, he says, all right, I'll set you and let you live in the land where you serve false gods, Hoping, in fact, that the very thing that you thought you loved over a process of 70 years, you'll detest. Has God ever did that any, for anybody ever? You know, you wanted something so bad or your way just so-so that he gave it to you. And after you got it, there was a lesson being learned. I wish I never wanted this. You know. God, can we kind of put this in reverse and rewind the tape and start over? And that, there was a lesson being learned. He says, okay, you, you, you like serving false gods? Man, go to their land. Live. And uh, after a period of time, you're probably not going to like it as much as what you initially thought you would like it. And in addition, there's a reversal of things that kinds of happen because prior to Babylonian captivity, what the children of Israel were doing, they were taking some of the symbols and some of these little pagan gods and they were taking these things and setting them in the house of God. They were doing that. But if you remember the first two verses of the book of Daniel, when Nebuchadnezzar came and he took vessels now of the house of God that belonged to God, and what's he doing with them? He's taking them and placing them in the house of his gods. And so there's a little reversal that's kind of taking place here in the scripture. I want to talk just a little bit about the man Daniel. Uh, there's not a whole lot we can say about just his personal life or his heritage because the Bible doesn't say a whole lot about that. Uh, Daniel does not have 
any record in the scriptures. We have no record of his parents. And so I can't tell you that his dad was such and his mom was such, all right? We, we have no record of his parents. However, there is a possibility that Daniel and even the other three that was with him that was carried in Babylonian captivity, there's a possibility that they were of royal seed, according to verse 3 of Daniel 1. The Bible says, And the king spake to Ashpenaz and the master of the eunuchs that he should bring certain of the children of Israel and of the king's seed and of the princes. There's a possibility that Daniel could have been of royal seed. Not only that, it's right from here and through this that we see the type of individuals that Nebuchadnezzar is wanting in his kingdom. He's wanting some of the cream of the crop. Some of the best of what they have to offer. His crosshairs, if you will, was upon some of the best. We also see concerning Daniel, his lifetime. He gives us kind of a timeline in the first book, starting with the first verse, going to the last verse. Gives us kind of a timeline of Daniel. Bible says he's taken away in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, the king of Judah. And the last verse speaks to us that in the third year of King Cyrus, he continued. He continued, Daniel did, until the third year of the king of Cyrus, which is of Persia. So from the time that the Babylonian captivity began, which was whenever in that third year King Jehoiakim, all the way to Cyrus, the king of Persia, which is a different kingdom, Daniel served through this whole time frame, which was about 70 or so years. Now, the unto up there does not denote that Daniel died, all right, at that period in time. Scripture goes on to tell us that he went on beyond those 70 years because in Daniel 10.1, Scripture plainly says in the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a thing was revealed to Daniel. So Daniel was still living even beyond all of that. Now, we need to set the stage for Daniel and his three comrades here set the stage for him. Again, they were going after the best that Judah had to offer. Amen. This world kingdom, this Babylonian, this Neo-Babylonian was going after the best that Judah had to offer. And some of the qualifications that he was looking for was saying, those that have no blemish listed before you, they're well-favored, they're skillful in wisdom, they're cunning in knowledge, they understand they understanding the sciences. They, they had an ability more particularly to stand in the, 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 the house of the king. And so it are these cream of the crop that this world system wanted to set their crosshairs on. And I, uh, it goes to reason that uh, the Bible oftentimes says that the enemy would attack those that were sick or lame or so on and so forth. But that is not all that the enemy is after. World system just not after the lame and those that are already living on the fringe of the church. I understand that matter. But he's also after those that are the cream of the crop. He's after people in, in leadership that uh, the Lord has brought to places of prominence, so on and so forth. He's after those type of people. And the reason why you did the last uh, little indicator there, those that had ability. The enemy is after, this world system is after those that have Ability, Call it musical ability. Call it any type of intellectual tendency of ability. Uh, management ability. People who has ability that the, the God of this world is after. Now consider, here's the stage. If, as most scholars say and chronologists say, that these uh, young men were uh, more than likely teenagers where they were 13 or 19 or pushing 20, 
whatever it was, if they were in fact teenagers, consider the scenario for a moment. What would the response, and think about the teenagers you had and when you was a teenager, all right? Think about what would be the response or the character of a teenager. Maybe you have one now. Maybe you've been one somewhere along the line in your life. Maybe some of you's not there yet. That's all right. But what would the response or the character of a teenager be if they were set in a position that they didn't have no parental influence anymore in their life? Didn't have to worry about that. Parents out of the equation. They were separated from their home. That's gone. They were set in the arena of, of a different belief system. Uh, they were in a location, taken to a location that was synonymous with rebellion. Now think about this for a moment. Take, take modern day teenagers, take them away from the parents. The parents ain't saying, pick up your clothes, do this, all this stuff. All right. Uh, they're in a different belief system. They, they're, they're separated from home. They're not living in a house at home anymore. They're living in a place that's known for rebellion. <laughs> Set them in that type of situation and let's see what's the response of the teenager going to be? What's the character of the teenager going to be? Anybody, you've, you've heard, I, I, from what I hear, and I probably hit that too along in my life, but they say, you know, teenagers go through that rebellious stage. You know, everybody's shaking their head. Yeah, they go through that rebellious stage. Um, I would say that Daniel... And, uh, and his other friends there probably, the, the, we call it today rebellious stage, but I, I, I infer or submit tonight that maybe it was, we can call it the Daniel trial or the Babylonian test. Amen. Because let, I'm just wanting you to think here for a moment. And it does seem like every individual reaches that place somewhere in the teenage years that there is a little bit more rebellion, a little bit more pushing the envelope, a little bit more trying the limits and trying the boundaries and trying everything that's been taught to them. Could it be, and I'm just as a total perhaps, could it be that maybe it is the call of a world system that's trying to vie for their attention and possibly wanting them to transition into a different world that they're presently living in. Because we see a heightened fallout among teenagers in churches across America in church. And say, well, they're just being rebellious. Could it be that's the call of another world that's trying them? Could it be that it's the call of this world that's trying to draw them out and trying to cause them to change in their alliances and their allegiances? Uh, the Bible tells us that uh, emphatically that there are three enemies that every generation has. It doesn't matter uh, who or what we are. And we studied these when we studied the book of Ephesians. Ephesians 2 and verse number 2. The Bible says, Wherein times past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince and the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we had we all had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children wrath, even as others. In other words, there's three things that we all uh, contend with throughout each and every generation, and that is, if I may, the course of this world, a world system, the prince and power of the air, the devil, and then our own lust of our flesh. Every generation is going to succumb to those. And every generation has. 
uh, succumb to those different influences of our life. Daniel's story then is actually our story. Because think for a moment. We likewise are stationed in a place that uh, is contradictory and contrary to what we believe. We are stationed in the world. Um, Most of the things that happen around in our world, I say most, not all, but most, are contrary to things that are godly. Amen? In this world, this is where we get our learning, our teaching. We attend... We attend, you know, the schools, and I understand there's Christian school, and all that's fine and well. I don't have anything against that. However, through the life of Daniel, I understand that you can still go to a school of the world and still keep through Daniel. Three years he was at Babylon University, and he still stood for God through it all. So I don't have nothing against that, but to say that you can't make it without it is a lie. But we get our learning from here. If you don't, if you, if you have homeschool or if you have some type of Christian school uh, throughout uh, high school and so, so forth, that's great. But you're still going to have to enter, if you go to college, enter in a world of a pagan society. Amen. And so we get our learning from here. Uh, we satisfy our appetites here. Our desires. It's horrible around us, but we've got to find some way to satisfy our appetites. And I'm not just talking about a natural food thing, all right, McDonald's and Burger King and Subway. All right, we work here, just like Daniel. He worked there among all of this paganistic stuff. He worked there and even arose to great prominence. So his story is our story. We're in a land that is truly not our own, and perhaps that's the reason why the New Testament writer said it so greatly that we are at best just pilgrims and strangers passing through this land. Now, They were subjected to some things. These boys, these teenagers, by all means, without parental accountability, were subjected to some things, uh, mainly right here in the first book of Daniel. They were subjected to some teaching, some teaching that did not harmonize with what they had been taught back at Judah. They were subjected to the king's provision, namely his meat and his wine. They were given the possibility of partaking of the best that the king of that world had to offer. They were subjected to their names being changed. Consider just for a little while this evening the teaching that they were subjected to. Daniel 1 and verse number 4, when they're looking at these people, we went through some of these children whom was no blemish, but well-favored, skillful in all wisdom and cunning and knowledge and understanding science and such as had ability in them to stand in the king's palace and whom they might teach the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. said they wanted to find people that they could teach the learnings literally is the writings, the writings of the Chaldeans. For one thing, the writings of the Chaldeans is going to be different from the writings of the Holy Writ. And so you'll already see there's a competition and contrast that's happening here. Before, it was just the writings of the Holy Word that they were taught. But now we got to bring in a different teaching. We got to bring in the teaching of the writings of the Chaldeans and also that they could be taught the tongue or, if you will, the language 
of the Chaldeans. What's going on here? Well, the Chaldeans were a tribe of the southern portion of the region of Babylonia, Babylonian, the Babylonian area and region, but also with that, whenever you talk about Babylonian, Babylonian speaks of, it speaks of the nation. Whenever you see the word Chaldean, the Chaldean speaks of the culture. And so they wanted these young boys to succumb to the writings and the language of the culture. If I could say it like this, they wanted to reprogram them. They wanted to reculture them. More so than just learning the writings and learning the language, I believe they wanted them to adopt the writings and adopt the language. And for three years, they would be teaching and reading from their libraries and learn the writings as they did and learn the language as they did. Remember, Daniel, he wrote part of this in the language of Babylonian for those to be able, so he learned the language, amen, for three years. How in the world could this anybody survive that? You have to be strong, be able to learn the culture without adopting the culture. I know a lot about the world. I know a lot about the movies of the world have good knowledge of a lot of what we would call sin in the world but that doesn't mean I have to adopt that or integrate that into my own life I, I, I don't have to adopt that and integrate only the strong that are in the Lord and strong in their beliefs and steadfast in God can accomplish that. Why do you say that, Brother McGee? Because Daniel and the three boys wasn't the only boys that was taken from Judah. At the first deportation, they weren't the only ones taken from Judah. There were plenty of others, but whenever everything else and everything else fell by the wayside, you know what? Those four stood among all the rest. Even some of their other brothers, sisters, and cousins. Why? Because they said, we're in this place. We might have to learn the language and learn the writings, but we don't have to adopt them. Where there was other people that learned of them, the writings and learned of the language, and they adopted them as their own, and they forgot their old language. And they forgot the writings of the Holy Word. See, it's, let me tell you, it's always vying for our attention. It never stops. You're always learning. You're always learning. And if Satan can get his foothold within the mind of believer to get them to go beyond the place of learning to adopting and integrating the things that are everywhere around them, easy access into their own life, he knows, I got him, I got him, I got him. The other thing that they had to deal with was the king's provision. And it was daily. The king's provision was daily. And it was daily a portion of meat and some wine that was offered to them daily. Amen. Daily. I put up there that the king was offering them something daily because perhaps he wanted to take place of the daily bread. You know, like, the Lord's Prayer that we often say, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Give us this day our daily. See, they were used to getting their, in a figurative sense, their daily bread from God. The king says, well, let, let's substitute something here. How about some daily bread from the kingdom of this world and the king's table 
of this world. Amen. And the interesting thing is this, that in their culture, if someone would refuse food from the king's table, they could possibly die. If you refuse, I mean, you know, does, like, man, that's the king. Why would in the world would you refuse food from the king? And if you did, you had the possibility of dying. Yet Daniel did just that. He refused. Now, it's important to note through the book of Daniel, chapter 1 here, Daniel is not like a, a better than anybody else type of mentality. Daniel had beliefs and Daniel had things he stood for, but he wasn't ugly in doing it. You read his interaction with the chief of the eunuchs saying that he, notice what he did. It wasn't that just flat out, no, I'm not taking the king's meat and I'm not taking the wine. He says, why don't we try something for 10 days and prove to see if our countenance will be better than the others that take the king's provision. And then at the 10 days, you can make a decision. He wasn't rude to say, well, bless God, I want you to know I'm not eating that king's meat. There could be blood still in that meat. And you know what? That was probably offered to a sacrifice. You bunch of heathens! Now, that's the way we come across to people that don't know God. There's a way to respect your beliefs and still respect those who don't respect your beliefs. So, he, he's refusing, but he's doing so in a respectful manner. And so the mentality, here's the mentality of some, and... It, Scripture so amazes me because, man, it spans even into the present future time of the way things really are. And it just blows my mind. The idea could have been for Daniel and those guys, it's just food and drink. No big deal. It's just for three years. What's that in a lifetime of an individual? The Bible tells us in Matthew 25, verse 21, and you can also read this around verse 23. This is uh, the parable of the talents, uh, the division of, of the giving of the talents of the five and the two and, and the one. And uh, in that, whenever there was the increase and so on and so forth, and he had come back to receive what he had given, the Bible says his Lord said unto him, this is one that uh, did something with what he had, said, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. And so the phrase that I have emphasized there is faithful over a few things. And here's one thing I want you to get in your brain. Graduation in God's economy is based on being faithful over the few, the little, the small things. We, sometimes we get the big stuff. We ought not to do this or we may abstain from that. We get the big stuff. But sometimes we trip up over the little things. And so what's so important of being a master of faithful over the little things? Because let me ask you this. If you have a person that's prone to detail, are they not apt to get the big stuff? But a person that just have to get the big stuff, they struggle with the details. He says, the little things. Be faithful in the little things. But furthermore, 
In Galatians 5, chapter number 9, the Bible says, A little leaven. Now, just stay with me here. A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. Just, just walk with me. Leaven. Here we go. This is our science class. This is whole mech in economics. Leaven, basically, yeast spores. They are airborne. One yeast spore is one three thousandth of an inch. That's pretty small. It's pretty small. One three thousandth of an inch. And it just takes one of those that is one three hundred one three thousandth of an inch. One of those, it just takes one of them to naturally leaven bread. Just one. Now, of course, if you had increased number, that leavening process may happen a little quicker, but it just takes one to naturally leaven bread. In the Old Testament, we understand then, it brings a little, you know, moment to us why then the Lord told them whenever they were going to start the Feast of Unleavened Bread, why that they need to make sure there's no leaven in their house. They swept it. You've preached on it, Bishop. Man, they searched around, try to get as much leaven. Of course, it's airborne, so... You know, it's very difficult to get every bit of leaven out of your house, but you've got to be diligent about it. But if they were going to have a feast of unleavened bread, which lasted for seven days, and they were going to eat unleavened bread for seven days, if leaven got in the bread, guess what? It's no longer unleavened. And so here's the mindset, though. It's leaven. Whether it's one spore that is one three thousandth of an inch or 10,000 spores, whether it's little or whether it's a lot, quantity-wise, it doesn't matter because really it's still leaven, the quality. Symbolical in Old Testament, it's still sin. Whether it little or whether it big, it's still sin. But we want to quantify things in our life because we deem that small no big deal. It's just food and drink for three years. Daniel and boys, the matter is not it's just three years and it's just food and drink. The matter is it's something that is contradictory to the desire of your God. It's not about how much. It's about its quality. It's not satisfying to your God. We, we really need to steer in on that because there's people that have tripped up their entire lives over small things because it wasn't something big. I didn't go as far as they went. Who cares? Little or much doesn't matter in that. It all comes down. If it's sin, it's still sin. I mean, if, it, if it's sin to practice a life of fornication, it's sin to practice one night of fornication. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. You understand that? If it's sin to go out and get drunk, then it's sin Woo. to have a social drink. Yes, Amen. So when we, yeah, we got to pay attention to the small things, yes. But whenever it comes to, you're talking about good quality, bad quality. If it's bad quality, it matters not if it's little or much. It's bad quality. And so the boys just said, it's just food and drink, not much. That's not the point. 
It's three years. That's not the point. The point is that is contrary to your God, whether it be little or much. John MacArthur recalled, he said, I always remember the story of the woman and the man sitting next to each other at the banquet. He says, the man leaned over to this lovely woman and said to her after an appropriate introduction, would you go to bed with me for $10,000? To which she responded with a moment of silence and said, yes, I think I might. He replied, would you go to bed with me for $10? To which she replied, what do you think I am? He said, we've already established what you are. We're just negotiating a price. I would never do that, but I would do it on this level. Who in the world do you think I am? Let me tell you, folks, if you do it on the small level, you've already revealed who you are. You're just deciding now how, how much further into it are you going to go. Daniel decided who he was when in the small matter he said, sorry, I can't do this. Let's try plan B. Let's try something else because this will still satisfy and be pleasing to my God. I don't have to forfeit who I am though I'm living in a land that is contrary to my native land. I don't have to forfeit who I am. I can still be who I am, work here, live here, sleep here, but I can still bring glory unto God. I mean, three years of your life, I mean, it's not, you know, not a big deal. But again, according to the dietary laws of that day, um, there could have been, there could have been some blood that was left in the meat. That was against Old Testament law. He was not to eat a meat that had blood in it. That meat and that drink, a lot of times as it was, was offered as sacrifices, portions of them, unto their gods. And so they could be eating portions of meat and drink that had been sacrificed to their gods. And in doing so, here's what happened. Because when you shared a meal, and this is the reason why I'm so vehement about sharing meals around here with fellowship. <laughs> Whenever you shared a meal in biblical times, sharing a meal denoted friendship. It denoted fellowship. And all times, there was hardly too many covenants that were made that were made without sharing a meal. And so, if they ate the same meat that some of the priests of those false gods ate and drank some of the same stuff that those false priests ate and they shared that meal, they're already showing an allegiance and an alliance of friendship, fellowship, and being in covenant. You know what they're saying? In essence, in sharing in the meal, we agree with what's going on. Amen. Now this goes a little step further. All the dietary laws of the Old Testament, we look at them. Well, man, that was good. That's for health reasons, you know, because here is Daniel and his boys. They, they eat pulse, which seemed to be things that were grow, grew from seed. It doesn't, didn't just mean vegetables alone, but stuff that grew uh, from, from a seed from the ground. And after 10 days, uh, they were, the Bible says they were fatter, and that's not talking about uh, physical appearance, fatter, okay, as far as being big. It just meant that they were healthier. All right, but it was sometimes we draw the connection then and all the dietary laws of the Old Testament and how they ate, then that there is just going to give you absolute proof that, that you'll just have healthier lives and it's for health. That's what they were for, but that's not the case. 
lot of times it wasn't just health issues or facts that dietary laws were set in place for. They were for purposes of separation. Here's the reason why. Because lifestyle, okay, there we go. Lifestyle was practiced at the eating table. What I'm saying is this. Whenever they had social events, festivals and feasts, eating, meals were being shared, their lifestyle, whether it was positive or negative, lifestyle took place around the feast and the festivals. Lifestyle did. And so with that, I say this tonight, and you can read it for yourself. And the fact, and they're just, it's in my notes, but I just wanted everybody to see. And the fact that the Jews couldn't engage in certain, listen, this is important. The reason why they couldn't engage in certain social events was because they couldn't appease their appetites with the same things the world they lived in did. The reason why we don't go certain places and there's certain social engagements that seem to be on the surface absolutely harmless, no big deal, is because those type of festivities always come to a place where you're going to be feeding your spiritual self with some food and you're going to be appeasing your spiritual appetite with some food that you can't appease yourself with like the world appeases itself with. That's, uh, uh, let me just state it very plainly. This is the way it was years ago. The Bible tells us, let us hold to the traditions, especially if they're not biblically contrary. That's the reason why we still don't practice going to movie theaters around here. Now, I could talk about uh, some of the reasons of that further and further. Why? But it is a social event that everything that takes place in that arena should not be feeding your appetite. I don't really want... You all go get me off track now because I'm looking at faces. You'll get me off track. Brother Mingo, I don't see anywhere in the Bible that says, Thou shalt not do so, this and so. I agree. You can rent movies from a, a rental place. I agree. You can get them through direct TV. I agree. At least at home, it's in my environment. And uh, at home, if something comes up, I'm going to turn it off. I have the control of that. I know very few people, simply by pressure, if something was inappropriate on a big screen that they spent, I don't know how much money you spend on a ticket would get up and just leave, just to leave. Years ago, now this, I'm just going back, this is the reason why some of these traditions got set in churches years ago, because years ago, see movie theaters, especially driving such as that, were places where people made out. And so there's a stigma that followed that. So see, there's a social environment, a social event that appetites are being fed. I dare to say it probably still goes on a lot today and maybe not making out, but there's hands sliding where they should not slide. Well, I, I'm not even supposed to be here right now. We're on Daniel, but... And so notice, there's reasons why God did this. Dietary laws were for separation. Certain things you can't eat of. Well, a lot of these festivals, lifestyle took a place around the table. There was eating involved. So he safeguarded them from those environments, those social networks. And I'm not talking about Facebook and all that garbage, just stay with me. But from all these gatherings and happenings to safeguard his people. Look what I said. Therefore, it become one way in which God kept them from the influence of a pagan society. 
said, because if I can set some, if I can set some parameters on what they eat and eating appetites are normally fulfilled in these endeavors, then I safeguard them from that as well without having to say that, 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 that. You get the picture? Well, let's go a little further. Uh, I did this just because there's just some things I just wanted you, you know, they say if you can touch more than one person, more than one sense that you have, it stays with you. So I'm, I'm talking it, you're hearing it, you're seeing it. If I had a food that tasted like it, I'd give it to you. <laughs> Amen. Commonly, there is a direct relationship between separation and fellowship. Often, we choose separation in order to maintain or protect proper fellowship. Notice John 17, verse 15. I pray not that thou, Jesus, high priestly prayer, I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but thou shouldest keep them from the evil. In other words, I don't want them isolated. I want them protected. But the only way to protect them and not isolate them is to separate them. Daniel, boys, you're going to be here for 70 years. You can't get out of that. You're not going to be isolated. But we want you protected. And the only way to do that is to keep lines of separation in your life. So again, the answer is not isolation, but protection ultimately by how? Separation. And in doing so, what happens? Fellowship with God's retained. It's protected. It's maintained by doing so. <clears throat> Another thing that they were subjected to, and I probably won't get through all my material. I set, just to let you know, I set my clock for an hour tonight. Amen. They were subjected to their names being changed. Now, here's how things went. We've seen other people in the Old Testament whose names have been changed. But there's a difference whenever the name was changed using the same language. The same, the same language. Whenever there's a new name and the same language, that meant that there was a new role or there was a new purpose for the person. For instance, there was Abram, changed to Abraham. Same language was used, but it was a different name because he had a new role, a new purpose in his life. Sarai to Sarah. Jacob to Israel. Something different happens right here in Daniel 1. They have a new name, but it's in a different language. And whenever a new name was given in a different language, it was earmarking then a different identity. More importantly, and the reason why they did that, they wanted whoever was getting the new name in the different language to forget their past. The old names of Daniel and Hananiah and the other, see, we have a hard time. I have a hard time remembering their, their old names. But the old names of Daniel, Hananiah, Michelle, Azariah, every last single one of those names, and I'll show you here and on the next slide, I believe it is, within them are the meanings that are centered around God, Jehovah. The new names that are given them in Babylon, their meanings are all centered around the gods of Babylon. See what would happen every time someone would say, and let me go on to the next thing. Every time someone would say, Daniel, there's an interpretation with that. God is my judge. Every time someone said, Hananiah, Jehovah is gracious. Michelle, who is like God? That's right. Jehovah 
is my helper. It's hard to forget your past when it's constantly retained in your name. So they say the only way we can, we can counter this is change their name. So now when they say Belshazzar, Bel protect the king, they're talking about the gods of the world system they're living in. And whenever they say Shadrach, command of a coup, another god of their world. Whenever they say Meshach, who is what a coup is, and Abednego, servant of Nego, all gods of Babylon. And so when someone was addressing them by their new name, see, as time would go on, they would forget who is like God. They would forget God is my judge. They would forget Jehovah is gracious. They would forget Jehovah is my helper. Because they wanted them to have a new identity and forget who they were. Someone say Amen. thing concerning Jonah or Jonah Daniel and them is although they were called by different names I was already there and I skipped backwards although they were called by different names notice though they would not change what they satisfied their appetite with they had control over that and they would not change as we see later whenever the idol was made their what they worshipped so the essence of this Folks, is this. People can call you whatever they're going to call you. You don't have no control over that. But take command of your appetite and your worship. Might not be able to control what the world says about me or what they call me. But I can control what I ingest in this spiritual body and what I worship. Trying to figure out how deep I need to go here. Let's stand. That's probably a good stopping spot, really. Because I got probably enough to hold you for another hour. Or 45 minutes at least. Because I, I fear if I go on, I'm going to be at a bad stopping spot. And it's going to be like a crooked dog's leg or a three-legged dog you know here that I got to contend with next week try to rope in and add to and just let's not do that let's not do that and we even didn't really get to the reason why my subject matter was uh, parental uh, parental discretion advice but you, we will we will get there and it's quite the irony is 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 quite there amen hallelujah can we tonight just gather together up front Amen for a closing prayer tonight together with one another. Hallelujah. If we just come. Uh, Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.